Hello and welcome back to our series on the Tales from the Asylum podcast called Are You for Cinema Education? You're tuning to the first episode of our second season. If you haven't listened to our previous season, I advise that you pause and come back to this episode after you do so. This episode will contain a deep dive of the well-known and loved film, Smile, directed by Parker Finn. Robert Wood Johnson's medical school's extraordinary medical students are hosting this collaborative episode alongside Dr. Anthony Tobia. So get comfortable and you'll hear from me later on in this episode. Welcome to this afternoon's discussion on the film Smile. We'll provide a psychiatric analysis of this film and hopefully in doing so review multiple uh, different mental disorders. Group choice. What particular character intrigued you most? Where would you like to start? I guess, I guess the major one would be the main character because she's gone through a lot of stuff. Dr. Cotter, what did you notice and what do you find interesting about our, our main character? I feel like the setup and initial kind of premise of the film is to kind of portray the experience of somebody who like absolutely believes in certain experiences and you know what we might call delusions, hallucinations otherwise. If you are going to case formulate the fictional character of Rose Cotter, would you think to go down an avenue of a mood anxiety spectrum or therefore a psychotic dissociative spectrum? More down psychosis given the presentation. What illness should we start from within the uh, dissociative, the psychotic dissociative spectrum. Maybe schizophrenia? Yeah, schizophrenia. Uh, what are the schizophrenia spectrum disorders? Uh, they're like time-based. There's brief psychotic disorder, there's schizoform disorder, um, and then schizophrenia. Perfect. So number one is time-based, right? You heard the three right there. There's brief psychotic disorder, there is schizophreniform disorder, and then schizophrenia. So absolutely right. Those three conditions are part of the schizophrenia spectrum, specifically those time-based spectrum disorders. Give me those time frames. It's greater than one day <clears throat> to one month, one month to less than six months, and greater than six months. Perfect. Everybody's okay with that. What other disorders would you include here that are part of the schizophrenia spectrum that are beyond time-based? And that's the other one I heard, right? And um, that's embedded right in the differential for schizophrenia. More specifically, the American Psychiatric Association requires evaluating for and ruling out a schizoaffective disorder before confirming the diagnosis of schizophrenia. So it is also a spectrum illness. We're starting out with the idea, provisional, that this may be a case of schizophrenia in Rose Cotter. Um, what are the actual diagnostic criteria, and does Rose demonstrate the required two? You have your positive and negative symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, so she definitely had positive symptoms regarding seeing things that other people, you know, don't typically see. Also, like, having strong uh, persistent beliefs. Um, negative symptoms, hard to say earlier on, but definitely over the course of the movie, as time goes on, she gets more distressed. You start to see she becomes a bit more disheveled, a bit more paranoid, and, you know, like yeah. And she only is required to have two of those positive symptoms, those symptoms that are the pathological presence of something that at baseline we would not expect to be there. Uh, she rules in. Now what's the time course for us? Do we actually have a sense of how long she's been enduring these symptoms? It's like four days. Yeah. So brief psychotic disorder. All right, so um, in building our differential then, um, and this is for schizophrenia with this idea that there might be negative symptoms, um, what now does the American Psychiatric Association say that we have to further investigate and rule out in order to rule in the fact that Rose Cotter is afflicted with schizophrenia? 
That's why I heard mood disorder before, so we're going to count that in her substance-induced psychotic disorder as well. We're already ahead of, our, of the game. What other illnesses do we have to consider here? We, we said schizoaffective. I heard that before. That's three. There's two more. Broadly, like, any psychosis potentially associated with other uh, like medical conditions. And the other one is an autism spectrum disorder. For Rose, what other observations have you made? But by the way, number one, the, the role of family history is established by Rose herself when she's interviewing her patient. She actually asks, um, have uh, you or anyone in your family experienced hallucinations? So she's all over this. And by the way, so is her husband, right? He even asks, even before her therapist, yeah. right? So the role of family history is pervasive in this film, so we wouldn't want to dismiss that. Now, uh, my, my, I would guess either schizoing, other than, of course, being possessed by a demon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, my gut says it would be uh, schizophrenia versus uh, bipolar disorder. You know, I, I think that um, there are a couple of things that come up in this movie that suggest that maybe we are not dealing with schizophrenia, which is a concern. All right, so um, anyone have any thoughts as to evidence in this film that maybe schizophrenia would be lower in her differential? Like I was saying earlier, she's, she's not showing all these symptoms until after she experienced a really like traumatic experience was her witnessing someone. I mean, commit suicide in front of her. That's super traumatic. And then all the symptoms <clears throat> after, that's why I would say acute stress disorder. And again, that, that past psychiatric history is, is very important, uh, and developmental history, very important to elucidate here. All right, so um, the other thing I want to briefly mention in terms of there being perhaps an inconsistency with a primary psychotic disorder in general, and schizophrenia in particular, is her having visual hallucinations, which are relatively rare in schizophrenia. Uh, and she clearly um, is uh, seeing something. And, by the, and again, this is established for obvious reasons. Um, as early as 8 minutes and 23 seconds with her patient, who has a chief complaint of, I am seeing something, right? So visual hallucinations really do hallmark an organic etiology. Um, so we can't definitively rule out the role of substances, even though they are not overt. Um, <clears throat> the other thing she says... Um, or at least um, in, in the, well, both actually, the, both patients actually say it. Um, I know how insane this sounds. Um, so um, again, eight minutes, 41 seconds, um, there's insight, which is inconsistent with schizophrenia. Yeah. Right? Now, can people with schizophrenia have insight? Absolutely. However, if we're going to view this film like a shell fig limb, um, this has to be a red flag for you. So delusional disorder, Right, that other psychotic disorder in the chapter of schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders has to be in your differential here. Okay, um, so <clears throat> that's something to keep in the back of your minds. Now, in terms of whether we call this a delusion that's part of delusional disorder or whether it will be part of that larger condition called schizophrenia, um, eight minutes, 50 seconds. Sometimes it presents to be someone that I know, sometimes it's a random stranger, sometimes it's my grandfather who died in front of me when I was seven. Right. Yeah, Let's remember that too. because it does mm -hmm. potential link to an anxiety disorder to be discussed. What is our patient telling us, eight minutes, 50 seconds, regarding the content of her delusion? We definitely cannot rule out the trauma related to having someone die in front of you, no doubt. What is it called when the individual presents with the unfounded and delusional belief that someone can take the shape of others. Like a 
What what is smile it out? It's not. It's a variant of capgrass called what? Fregoli's in excellent. Yeah, all of a sudden, smile shapes up to be a fictional case of the Fregoli syndrome, or the Fregoli delusion, the delusional belief that an individual can take the shape of others. Now, Fregoli can also be seen in the context of primary mood disorders as well, so this does not necessarily rule against or definitively rule out the bipolar illness we also spoke of. To what degree do we think this might be post-traumatic stress? Because that's what I'm hearing uh, was uh, is a concern. Uh, it's certainly not something we discussed yet. That is bipolar, sure, schizophrenia, schizoaffective, um, and then perhaps uh, bipolar, but PTSD. I think there's absolutely evidence in her having PTSD from her childhood experiences. You know, she has these repetitive nightmares and flashbacks when she's talking to her patients, um, which those are like kind of hallmark signs of PTSD. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No doubt about it. And about uh, 41 minutes into this film, she is sitting with her own therapist. And her quote is that ever since that patient, and we, again, that should be in bold, uh, um, I've been seeing things uh, and, he and hearing things. I'm sure that it's just a symptom of post-trauma, so she actually has some insight. Uh, stress-induced hallucinations. Um, now, we've talked about stress-induced psychosis before, and by the way, when we talked about it last week and the week before, it was in the context of uh, other mental illness and trauma. So here you go. So this is the film depiction of that. Interestingly, do you recall the comment of her mentor, of her therapist? Yeah, didn't she say that they should explore her past trauma? That was mm -hmm. like a huge part of what she was trying to do with her. Exactly what she does, right? And what is her medical opinion? Do you remember the comment she makes? She actually says, for where I'm, for where I'm sitting, you don't seem delusional or disorder to me. Now, I was like, And she's right on with regard to delusional. I'm not yeah. so sure if it's correct, but she is, I think, of the medical opinion that this was perhaps not a primary psychotic process. I think that's what she was trying to express, and that this might be an anxiety process. This may be PTSD. However, her, uh, the continuation of that sentence, quote, uh, dot, 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 or disorder to me is incorrect. Yeah, that's what I was Right? Remember, about, yeah. what hallmarks would operationalize as uh, disorder? Something that's clinically significant. Yep. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Right. Clinically significant distress or impairment, which clearly she demonstrates uh, missed by this physician. We'll have to give her a pass. I cheated. I saw the end of this movie. Unfortunately, she should have considered prescribing a medication, and maybe even a higher level of care. Right? So treating her as an outpatient with a biopsychosocial treatment plan that did not include the, even the discussion of medications. Now, the discussion comes up only because um, Rose asks for Risperidone, mm -hmm. um, but that's it. So not so sure I would have treated it that way. Again, I cheated. I know the ending of this film. <laughs> Right. I, I would want to have avoided that ending, but I think that medications perhaps were on the table here. But again, she verifies that the psychotic symptoms are likely in the context of PTSD. Quote, this experience with your patient triggered old anxieties. Um, you have wounds that have never healed. So, I mean, it looks like PTSD becomes the single best diagnosis, albeit with psychotic features. Based on the way the monster works in this movie, do you think it would have been the safest thing to admit the main character for inpatient psychiatric hospitalization and kind of remove all dangerous objects. Yeah. 
I, and again, I say that in retrospect, we know how this ends. Um, there's certainly an untoward outcome at the ending. So uh, yes, a higher level of care um, was likely indicated. Um, other observations on uh, Dr. Rose Cotter. L looking at her insomnia, um, I am, I'm, I'm worried about her shift work. I assume the 80 hours somehow incorporate shift work. Um, and then maybe a circadian rhythm sleep disorder. Is another sleep disorder you'd consider here? Night terrors? You could make some of her hallucinations happen while she was asleep. Yeah, yeah, if some of her hallucinations are occurring while she's sleeping, does she remember them? Yes. Okay, well, she, if, she, if she did not remember them, and of course, if she's disoriented upon awakening, then uh, sleep terrors, yes. However, she does remember them, and she, she does rapidly orient. She's, she's not delirious or confused upon awakening, so maybe nightmare disorder. Right. Now, any, any other considerations? How about if I gave you this, that scene where she's in front of the hospital and she's going in to see her patient because she just learned of a potential way to kind of break the chain, and she goes and sees the patient, and then it's revealed to be a dream. Um, when she is just ready to open that door, we are one minute, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, one hour, 25 minutes and 43 seconds into that movie. When we realize it's all been a dream, we're at 128.15. That is exactly two minutes and 32 seconds have transpired. Does that suggest anything to you? That she can go into REM in about two and a half minutes? Yeah. Now, I, I totally get that if you got the writer-director on the phone right now, they would tell you that there is no way they'd wait the required number of minutes of normal sleep physiology to demonstrate that this was a dream because it would be way too boring to their film and they needed to edit, edit that out. I get that. However, the way this film is made, her going into REM in about two and a half minutes, exactly two minutes and 32 seconds is pathological. This looks like narcolepsy. And if, if her hallucinations occur upon falling asleep and or awakening, uh, right? <clears throat> hypnogogic, hypnopompic. Um, we do have to get her a multiple sleep latency test to evaluate for narcolepsy. Well, that, that time in the car, was she asleep or what could it have been a dissociative? She, so, she looks like she woke up from a sleep, huh? yeah, from a nap. All right. Anything else about Rose you want to discuss? I mean, I guess I, I was gonna, just going to say that I mean, when we were talking about the dissociative parts of it, she, um, that those moments where she, like, actually, you know, puts the cat in the box and things like that, we don't see that because she's not aware of it. And, like, I mean, this would probably be a stretch because whatever. But um, you could say, like, dissociative identity, dissociative identity disorder because she's not remembering these, like, uh, moments where she's, doing things and she has past trauma. Yeah, so um, at the very beginning of this conversation, I think that we can make the assessment that Rose demonstrates clinically significant gaps in memory. Um, at uh, 34 minutes and 55 seconds, quote, I literally don't remember doing it, right? Yeah. That's, set, that's setting the alarm, right? So there's clinically significant gaps in memory. And of course, the highlight scene is her nephew opening up that gift, right? Now, um, there are a couple things to consider here. This may, in fact, be consistent with a primary psychotic disorder, right? Newer evidence suggests, medical evidence suggests, that individuals with a primary psychotic disorder do tend to have dissociative episodes, no doubt, 
right? Uh, and, and it works both ways too. Individuals with dissociative disorders over their lifetime uh, do tend to have psychotic disorders, psychotic symptoms as well. So that that's a, that's a yes. Um, on the other hand, if her dissociative episodes warrant independent clinical attention, yeah, I think we have to expand our differential, right? And is this dissociative amnesia, or is it something larger? And that's to be determined. Now, of course, to the extent that the demon, quote unquote, takes over her awareness, um, we might actually have a case of DID. And it is noteworthy, and noteworthy for your shelf exam, that as of 2013, the American Psychiatric Association does say for DID, not only is there gaps in memory, and not only is one's conscious awareness taken over by the altered state, but in some cultures, that altered state could be possession. Okay, so we do have to put that in our differential. Any other characters want to discuss? I guess you could compare and contrast hers and her sister's mm -hmm. response, respectively, to what happened to the mother, and kind of like how it affects the family dynamic. Um, you know, this her sister being the older sibling, kind of out of like self-protection state. So like I had to leave for my own sake because um, of all the stressors going on surrounding their mother's like mental health and you know, suicidality. And the main character herself um, held up a lot of burden witnessing it as a ten-year-old, and then you know eventually witnessing the suicide attempt and not calling for uh, emergency medical services, mm -hmm. which you know indirectly may or may not have contributed to the mother's eventual passing. Mm -hmm. Did that remind you of anything? Did that, that dynamic between brother and sister. Uh, in, the, in this other movie, um, I don't remember there being a Sid, but this is absolutely the same of a young daughter taking care of a chronically ill mother and put in situations that she should never have been put in at her age, and then seeing things. Uh, in, in the movie, ironically, I'm sorry, I take this back, um, there, there was an older Sib, and it was the older sister that was chronically ill, and the mother put the younger daughter in the care of her older Sib and was traumatized because of it. My sister's keeper? My sister, I have to check that out. I think, that, I think that's one. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, yeah. 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 I wonder if they borrow from the plot, because it's real, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's creepy how this is replayed and reimagined in this film, right? In Pet Cemetery, you have a you have two sisters, um, and the older sister is the one that basically takes on this film's mother's persona and character. The younger sister is put in the charge um, in, in the care of the older sister. That is the mother's neglectful in doing that, and because of that, the younger sister is traumatized. <clears throat> And we, and we only see this in Pet Cemetery as well as a flashback. We see them as uh, adult sisters, same, same as Smile. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, yes, fantastic dynamic um, and captured in not one but two rather, rather good horror movies. I'm sure there's others too. Final thoughts? I think it did a good job of also um, showing the like isolation one might feel if, if they were experiencing something like this. I think like they capitalized on like the emotional parts of like feeling stressed and scared and like no one was going to believe you and isolated and um, that those parts of the movie really resonated with me. I, I mean, I just felt like sad for the main character regularly. Um, and so I think that like in addition to like this exploration of psychological things, also the just like the emotionality of, of 
you know, being someone who maybe experiences different things than other people and feeling like no one will believe you or feeling like, you know, your reality is not other people's reality. And I felt like that was quite poignant. I agree. And I think that that actually began with that initial scene at eight minutes plus yeah. uh, with the graduate student with Laura. Um, having that courage to come and actually say what she not only believes, but what she believes she saw. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she prefaces it with, uh, again, to paraphrase, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but because um, yeah. she knows the reaction she's going to get, even from a licensed professional, um, who quickly asks, you know, have you or anyone in your family experienced hallucinations? Yeah. Right. Which, again, clinically you have to ask, but the rapport has not, not been established just yet. And then, of course, it happens to Rose as well. Now, when a particular community or culture um, gives the uh, proverbial hidden curriculum to suffer in silence, it is so important for that member's social support to step up and make sure that there's a safe space to, to explain, to describe, and to, to tell people how you are feeling and what you are experiencing. And unfortunately, for, I suggest for Laura too, but certainly for Rose, that support was simply was not there. And although I really, I actually really, really like this movie, um, it should probably be like mentioned that it's, it's it kind it, it kind of sucks that uh, the whole stereotype of like, oh, impatient is scary and all the people in it are creepy, you know, that that's not very productive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, that may have been reinforced, uh, reinforced through Carl's character, you know. Yeah. I mean, the, the hospital very, scene, like, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, his character might be what people think of as inpatient psychiatric facilities and how, how patients are kept in their rooms and what they might do in their rooms, and that might just reinforce that and promote that stigma. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you want to look at this educationally, Carl's, Carl's, uh, Carl's character, you can see that quickly. Um, also does demonstrate aspects of catatonia, which tends to appear on shelf exams. So something to consider as well. Any parting uh, thoughts? I think it just it highlights the um, to extreme nature, of course, in the movie. But that there is like this includes contagious factor to suicide. If you know um, you see a, you see someone, if some you know someone, right, or if you have a family member who has committed suicide, it's not this foreign concept anymore. It's, there's something that's more familiar. Obviously, it's very extreme here, and it's um, it's like strangers, and you see the person, but it's there is that contagious factor of mm -hmm. like you see you have someone that you know. And, um, I completely agree. Uh, completely agree. And uh, it, again, despite the fact that it's probably over dramatized in film, mm -hmm. uh, the fact is that it does exist. It does. All right. Thank you. We close with that. We're good. Thank you, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tales from the Asylum podcast. I'm Sam Shrem, and as always, with me is Amel Issa. Hi guys, we're back for um, this week's episode. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, but we're back. Yeah, that's right. We're taking on Smile today, and it's a very scary movie. In the podcast, uh, Dr. T talks a lot about the, I guess, the schizophrenic spectrum. There are a few things I think that would be fun to detail uh, about that. So I this was actually my first time looking some of these over in, you know, it's just been like a hot year and a half. Um, so for all of these um, disorders, you have what's called, and really for 
a lot of psychiatric things in general, you have what we call a diathesis stress model, uh, which is a really, it's an overly fancy way of saying you have genetic predisposition and maybe some like, like dispositions in your situation. Like one of the big ones is just like low socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. which it's messed up, but that's just how things are. Sometimes it's like, I know it's schizophrenia, you have like, I think like poor early diet and like mm. actually the month you're born in. In schizophrenia, which has a very strong genetic component, um, it's particularly important if you have, um, if you have like relatives, especially like, you know, the closer they are, the stronger the link. Um, if you have like relatives with, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, um, you know, that you just kind of keep good vibes. Dr. T was also, um, discussing, uh, the, the time spectrum, uh, based disorders in, in like, the schizophrenic, uh, spectrum, and, you know, as you, you probably figured it out, you know, it's just how long you're experiencing just, uh, schizophrenia symptoms for. Those would include, you know, you're seeing things, hearing things, hallucinations, you believe things that aren't necessarily true. Uh, although in Rose's case, there's a there's a catch um, when he talks about insights, but you know, we'll get there. So they were talking about schizoform, which is the one-month, six-month version of schizophrenia, you know, in not too many words. And then... You know, you have the full-blown disorder, which is a buildup of what are called prodromal. We have the prodromal phase, which is you start with negative symptoms, which are which are like anhedonia. You stop enjoying things. Abolition. You stop like wanting to do things. You're just kind of cool, like staring at a wall all day. Um, Elogia. You top. You stop speaking. Um, or you speak much, much less, right? Things you have and you then you just kind of lose. You also have disordered symptoms, which... Have you heard, like, word salad? Yeah. Like that. Um, but you don't have positive symptoms, which are... Instead of losing things you already have, you get things you didn't have before. So, interestingly... Uh, as they mentioned, so Rose demonstrates what Dr. T, I've never, I've never heard it named before, but, um, he calls it, he called it insight, um, which is sort of understanding, like, it's understanding that your beliefs are not necessarily, like, absolute, so... Do you remember the scene where there's Rose sees like I think it's Carl, mm-hmm. like he's restrained but he's like freaking out trying to get free. Yeah. So she calls the nurses over. The nurses show up and she's like, "Great, you're here." She looks back at Carl and he's asleep. And they're like, "Yeah, what, why did you call us?" Yeah, because Carl was like freaking out. Like, yeah, I think he was restrained, being like, "I'm gonna kill you. Like, you're gonna die soon." And then yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So, schizoaffective disorder is, so in psychology, affect is, like, a synonym for, like, 
feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel angry. You pretty much put the two, like, words together and you get, like, she's so effective. Yeah. It's like a combination of a mood disorder and um, psychotic symptoms. So, like, psychotic symptoms and positive symptoms are almost the same thing. Psycho- psychosis is delusions, hallucinations. Yeah. Things that are not there. The Dr. T and the students didn't necessarily think it was schizophrenia, but I thought there was some fun stuff to talk about in there. Yeah. Um, I believe the diagnosis they came to was, it was PTSD with psychotic features. Yeah. Yeah. So PTSD, you know, can be like extremely long lasting. So the trigger obviously being roses like far, far past, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, interestingly, have you heard of acute stress disorder? No. So acute stress disorder is, I think, what people might think PTSD is. In PTSD, you don't actually get immediate onset. Mm-hmm. There is a delay. ASD is without that significant delay. Like you, you start feeling it like immediately. So PTSD can show up without ASD. The cutoff point um, is like a month, right? Mm. If you onset within a month, it's acute stress. If you onset outside of a month, it's post-traumatic stress. Okay. The symptoms are a little different and the treatment's a little different. But the important part is that you can have acute stress disorder and you can kind of, you know, you go through it quickly and that's kind of that. Mm. You can also develop into PTSD too. Um, But it also means that, although this doesn't really happen to Rose, or this does happen to Rose, um, although it's in a very, very extreme form, which in addition to that also gets aided by another traumatic event. Yeah. So the connection's a little uh, here, but uh, with PTSD you have an onset after a month. So you, the person can appear normal and then things slowly start going bad. So if that kind of thing happens to someone, you know, even if you check in, check in, check in, you know, it's been like two, three weeks, they're still good. It's kind of the thing that you want to turn an eye to every now and then even you know after a month two months because you know ptsd can start and they can start you know going through it yeah um so it's not something you want to be unaware of yeah um in rose's case you know again the delay is like 30 years something like that is a little extreme. Like 25, 30 years. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So in PTSD, you know, you have intrusive thoughts, you have flashbacks, but you, you don't have full-blown psychosis. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you have, like, the the kind... You know how when Rose... There were two parts of the movie where Rose does stuff. I think she kills a demon in one of them, and then yeah. it's like... 
haha, you're dreaming. Yeah. That doesn't happen either. It's like flashbacks and intrusive thoughts are they're like almost there. Yeah. But it's not quite the connection. So the psychotic features are a little bit are off. appropriate. I mean it's appropriate to say with psychotic features because it doesn't quite reflect reflect yes. PTSD. This episode of Tales from the Asylum was written by Dr. Anthony Tobia and produced by me, ML Issa, with research done by students and trainees at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson's Medical School. The commentary in this episode starred Sam Schrem, our podcast intern. Tales is just one of our courses that sits at the intersection of behavioral medicine and pop culture. You can learn more about Tales and the rest of our curricula on our website, wickednights.com and YouTube channel, Wicked Nights. Be sure to receive notifications about our upcoming events. Just search for us on Twitter and Instagram and click that follow button.